Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. It was a great weekend, wasn't it? Uh, it's been a fun weekend so far. And even today, this morning, even before we started this service, I got to hear some stories that actually speak to God doing exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. So I want to start out this morning by talking, uh, asking you some questions. Don't raise your hands when I ask these questions. You're not going to want to raise your hands, okay? But just listen to the questions. Does anyone here wish that you could de- uh, hit the delete button on the last few months or years of your life and just start over? Anybody, anybody here wish you could change something about who you are, how you think about yourself, how others label you and think about you, or how you act in certain situations? Is there any part of your identity that you carry around, whatever, wherever it originated, whether it was from negative things people said over you, or whether it was from misguided models that you find drive you into unhealthiness today, that you wish you could just take a part of your hard drive of your life and delete that and start over, start fresh? Is there something in your past that you failed horribly at? And you'd give almost anything to go back and have a do-over because it still negatively affects who you are today and how you think about yourself. Is there anyone here who feels like you failed as a parent or a spouse or a friend and wish that you could just reset the entire relationship and start over? As we continue our series today called Courageous Choices, We're studying the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, and it's a time of great change. It's a time of where they're transitioning from a difficult past of slavery and struggle in life to this promised land that God has been promising them that they have been longing for for centuries. I mean, day after day, year after year, for centuries, the Israelites sat around campfires or sat around their table at dinner and talked about stories of the promise of God. And now they're at the place where they get to make some choices and begin to walk into that promise. And what we're trying to do as we study this is is look at those choices and understand them so that we can make some of those same choices because I think their choices and their experiences really relate to who we are today when we face wanting to realize a dream or walk out of a past into something in the future because our choices determine our future. And as people who are following God together and listening to Him, I think this is a really timely message for us as well because He's taking us as, as individuals in the church here and as a church together. He's beginning to take us in an accelerated fashion into more of the promise He has spoken over our lives individually and together. And I find as we've been doing this over the last couple of months, each week the expectation is growing. Because God is showing up. Even last week, we had another physical healing and prayer afterwards. And I'm not going to tell you the details. I'm going to wait for a couple weeks until we can have that person tell you personally what happened to them. But our choices determine our future. And many of those choices require courage. 
as we listen to God and, and follow Him and take steps uh, to follow Him, He's going to pull us out of our comfort zone. And sometimes we're going to do things that, that we might at first think are right, but then it ends up being something else. And I keep hearing stories from all of you about those things, kind of like what David and Naomi are doing. Hearing God say, just step away from your job. I mean, that's a big thing for a family with two young kids, right? And then God showing up and proving to him, proving to them that he's in this for them. And God's doing that kind of stuff in many people's lives around here. It's been exciting to follow Jesus. Last week, Wendy and I, I told you about a story from Wendy and I of a choice that we made early in our career that turned out really positive for the rest of our, our career in life. This week, I want to tell you about a number of little simple choices that have been made recently. Uh, by 11 people here at Quest, just to, a simple choice, just give an hour a week. And we just got done with getting the results from the year of our Project 297 uh, tutoring program at uh, Huber Ridge, and the impact on the kids' lives was tremendous. The children tutored there were chosen by the faculty based upon being behind in reading level and struggling and also coming from home or circumstance situations in their life that created a lot more difficulty and and a lot greater need in their lives for some love and extra attention. 73% of the kids we tutored completely got caught up to grade level this last year in that. Isn't that awesome? Even the three people that didn't fully get caught up were one small step away from being caught up, made tremendous progress. And that's impressive. And the reason why it's so important is that research shows that children who are behind grade level at age at, at, at third grade are four times less likely to graduate by the age of 19 from high school. And students who also, on top of that, come from homes where there's poverty or where there's insecurity in the home, it's an additional 13 times less likely that they graduate on time. So the simple hour a week choice to give that, just a few minutes a week from these tutors, greatly increase the chance that these kids walk into a dream that God has for them in the future, a more secure dream, not just through their reading help, but through their time spent with them, encouraging them, showing them love, letting them know that they had somebody who was interested in them on a weekly basis. It's a small choice that made a really big difference in someone's life. But as much as I would love to think that all of our choices lead us onto a successful, positive course in life, we all know that's simply not true, right? I mean, I know from my own life I've made plenty of bad choices that have taken time to recover from in life. And I suspect the same is true for you probably, right? Some of these decisions are small and they seem insignificant, like making a choice to eat what we really want to eat, but that sets us on a course all too often for type 2 diabetes or, or, or other health problems, right? Other choices are big, and, and we maybe went through college and chose to party more rather than study more, and it made the start of our career more difficult than it needed to be. Some of us have experienced the, the frustration in marriage, and we, we've thrown in the towel much too quickly instead of seeking counseling and working on it. We've reaped some lasting difficult results from those that take a while, in fact, maybe even a lifetime, that we have to deal with those things, right? Every day we're faced with choices. We can live frugally and we can become debt-free, or we can choose to borrow against our equity and, and uh, to get things faster. And those decisions either lead us to greater peace or to greater pressure and greater stress in life. I've watched multiple friends over the years try to succeed in life by leveraging debt. 
One of my friends ended up making three to $5,000 every speech, traveling all over the country, telling people how to leverage debt to succeed. And it went well until, until the market didn't cooperate. And then over a several course of several years, he, he lost all of his properties, was foreclosed on, went bankrupt. He moved from a million-dollar home to a starter rental home in the prime of his family's life, struggling to recover, struggling to stay afloat. Some of our choices are minor, and they don't have a lot of impact. Other choices that we make are game-changers that either propel us forward into God's good dream for our lives or set us back and take time to recover from. But the good news is, the good news is, if you've made bad choices along the way, if you've made choices that lost your marriage or lost your sobriety or, or, or sobriety or you lost a job or you went bankrupt or you lost your financial security or you simply set yourself back in a dream for a relationship or a career because of a bad choice, or maybe you stayed in a destructive relationship way too long. The good news is those decisions don't need to define your identity in the future and who you are. Those decisions don't preclude you from realizing and walking into the promise God has for you. You can start over. You can overcome. You can move forward into the promises God has for you, regardless of whether you're 30 or 40 or 80 years old. As long as you have breath, God says you can start over and walk into that dream. Today we're going to look at the story of a woman in Joshua who made really, really poor choices, damaging choices, hurtful to her, hurtful to other people. But as we read her story, we're going to see her make some courageous choices to follow and believe in God's power that give her a new start that is amazing. And some of us here need to make those same kind of choices to respond to God and start anew as well. The story's in Joshua 2. And it's the story of a woman named Rahab who desperately needed a do-over. If you read all the context around this story, just to put it in that context, Israel has finished 40 years of wandering, and now they're back at the banks of the river where 40 years earlier they had failed to obey God. Looking across at a city called Jericho, a city made on about 12 acres with about 3,000 people in it. It's got thick, tall, fortified stone walls all the way around it. This is a highly fortified, highly strategic city. It is the gatekeeping city for the whole region. It sits on one of the major river crossings into this area of the country. And God has instructed Joshua and the Israelites to prepare to cross the river and to conquer Jericho because God has promised to give the land to them. Now, I know that some people read these stories where God is saying he's going to send his people in to displace and kill some other people and take their land, and they look at it and say, that's kind of bully-like of God, right? But if you look back at Scripture and if you understand the context that's gone into all this and, the, and, even, and even what the people were like and the circumstances, God has just finished over 400 years of patiently waiting for the tribes of the land to repent and follow Him. Instead, they've gotten more and more corrupt and sinful, even to the point of beginning to suffer for some of the tribes in that area, sacrificing their children to their false gods. God's 400 years of patience are up. And he's declared this is a time of judgment and a time where God is going to give the land to the people of Israel. 
A land of, and the land is, an, is a great place. It's a land of worldwide strategic importance because it's at the crossroads of the trade routes for the entire world. You see, God's intention of giving Israel this godly nation or the people following God, this land is to spread his faith in God to the entire world, the hope of his promises to the entire world across the entire globe. Joshua, in preparing for this, sends two spies across the river to get the lay of the land. And the spies enter Jericho, and they go to Rahab's home. Her home is just inside the city gates, it says, and it's actually in the wall of the city. Now, Rahab is a prostitute. And the question sometimes gets asked, why did the spies go there? We don't know all the reasons why they went there for sure. Probably part of the reason they went there is because it wasn't uncommon for people who the people in the city didn't know. They, they would see strange men coming and going all the time, so they'd arouse less suspicion. Rahab is well enough known that the king of Jericho knows of her. And somehow the word of the spies' presence in the city leaks out. And the king sends people to Rahab's house and says, turn the spies over so that we can arrest them and we can kill them. And Rahab faces a difficult choice in this moment. She can obey the king and remain in her lifestyle with all of the culture and family relationships intact around her, or she can obey God and commit treason. Think about this for a minute. Rahab was at one time a young little girl, right? who probably, like every young girl, longed to be loved and longed to be pretty in her dad's eyes, who longed for a mom who would keep her safe and be tender with her. But somewhere along the way, her family wasn't safe, maybe, or there were desperate circumstances, or there was abuse by others that led her down this path of either needing to be needed, and the only way she could feel needed was through sex, or led her to the point where she believed that's all she was good for, was being a prostitute. So Rahab sells her money, her body for money. Men disdainfully use her for the thrill, but treat her as just an object to be used. And, And women hated her for the threat she represented to them and her husbands. Rahab was not the young lady she had desired to be as a child. She longed for the safety, for the love of a husband, for a hopeful future. She was a person who knew that she would be used, she would be abused, until no one wanted her anymore. And then they would cast her aside. And she had made some terrible choices along the way. Though you may not relate to Rahab as a prostitute and probably don't, maybe you can relate to the fact that she made a bunch of bad decisions and you've made some bad decisions as well along the way that have cost you a lot. They've cost you part of the dream that you had for life and they make that makes that part of the dream for your life seem distant, maybe even hopeless at times. But God looks at Rahab and he looks at you and me and he looks past the damaging choices we've made and what we think about ourselves and what others think about us. And he looks on the inside at who he created us to be and who we can become. And he doesn't see any one of us as permanently set back in our ways, unable to change, unable to have a fresh start. Rahab, who didn't know God, having been raised in a very, very different way, had only heard rumors and stories about him. And she's faced with a choice, one of many along the way, I'm sure, to choose God 
or to choose how others view her, how she views herself, to choose God or to choose how others demand her to be. And this time, Rahab chooses God and chooses to defy the king. She hides men on her, the men, the spies on a roof under bunches of straw, probably there to refresh the softness of her bed or to make baskets out of or simply to burn when the weather's cold out in her fireplace. And after the king's men are done searching the home and they leave at nightfall, she goes to the roof and, and, and let's listen to the conversation she has with the spies recorded in Joshua that spells out her courageous choice to start over again. And follow God. Verse 9, it says this, And Rahab said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea 40 years earlier for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed just a couple months before this. And when we hear of it, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Rahab is making a choice to start over again. Because she's heard the stories of how God has rescued and moved among his people who follow him and she, and the wonders that he's done. And she rightly thinks this question. She says, could this same God rescue me? And in this moment, Rahab makes a choice to put her faith in God. And she does it in a really smart way. In verse 12, it says, I trust your God, believe in your God, and if you will protect me, I will protect you. The spy And the spies agree to that. And Rahab just made the biggest life course altering decision any one of us can make. To choose to trust her life to God. Not what she thinks about herself. Not what others think about her but to trust God's view of her more than she trusts the labels of her life circumstances and what they have put on her. Can we trust God the same way? Most of her life she lived with a label, prostitute, whore, someone of such little value that you could use her, abuse her, and just disdainfully throw her aside. And she made three choices here. She trusted God. She abandoned her former way of sinful living and she chose to risk starting over, to risk becoming something new, no longer letting others define her based upon her past or her bad choices, but looking to the future for something new. How many of us have labels that we've carried around that have stuck with us in our identity and keep us being less than what God wants us and the dreams that we have for our lives. Whatever that label, what's that label that's part of you, that's stuck with you, that makes you think less of yourself than God does? Almost all of us have a label that we carry that we need to allow God to remove from our lives. God has a promise of more and better in your life. 
And his plan is not for you to be timid or average or struggling with the same recurring setbacks. His plan is not for you to be alone or anxious all the time or useless or a workaholic, always driven by dissatisfaction, needing something new. God's plan for you is to have a life of fullness and the security of belonging. See, later in, the cha- later in chapter 6, we see Israel take Jericho, and it says this about Rahab. It says, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. She lives among the Israelites to this day. Rahab is the first Gentile adopted into the family of God. And you see, God's desire is that everyone would be adopted in. God has spent 400 years trying to woo the people of Jericho and the tribes of Israel to follow him. And they're now being judged. But even now, after 400 years of them rejecting God, God is still eager and willing to take anyone who would repent and choose to follow him in a new and fresh start, no matter what they've done. He is the God who gives us a clean slate and a fresh start. In fact, Rahab's new future is even better than this verse indicates. Her faith becomes so renowned in Israel that we see her listed 1,500 years later in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11. Rahab went from barely above trash in people's eyes, an object to be used and thrown aside, to a person highly revered and respected. What a difference that is, isn't it? That God makes when we choose to follow His plan and His promises. But it doesn't stop there. In Matthew 1, we get the, we, we see the, this part of the conclusion of the story recorded there. Rahab is actually married. She finally finds that love that she wanted to have, that family that she'd always dreamed of. And she's actually the mother of Ruth, who we have a book in the Bible named about. We had a talk about that from Noel two weeks ago on Mother's Day. And she was the great, great grandmother of the most famous king of Israel, King David, which means her ancestry also led to Jesus himself. Talk about redemption. Talk about a beautiful choice to start over. And the legacy God brings because of that choice. That's what the good news of Jesus is all about for all of us. If God can redeem Rahab, he can redeem you and me. But it took a courageous choice on her part to trust God's promise, to trust God's identity for her instead of her identity of her past and her culture and her people. What kind of courageous choice do each one of us here need to make today to choose God over our identity that needs to be gotten rid of because it's not God's identity for us? See, too often we don't think we have choices in life. We feel trapped by the patterns of our life, by the culture we're in, by our family, by our expectations, the expectations of bosses or, or the expectations of friends or, or by our own past failures to overcome or repeated failures to overcome situations. And we feel trapped like we don't have choices. Rahab could have easily thought, I'm a part of a people who have rebelled against God for 400 years. And on top of that, I'm one of the least of these people. I've sinned too much. I am no good to anybody. 
I am stuck. I am doomed. I have no choice. And yet there was a choice that God graciously brought her way. And she took it, knowing it would be difficult, knowing that even the word of the spies and their promise, that that, that, that she really couldn't know for sure that they would live up to their promise in that moment, not knowing if they had... uh, And and she still chose God's promise, even in the midst of that. And it wasn't a blind faith. It was based on the evidence of God's actions. Even though she hadn't experienced them personally, she had listened, and she had remembered the stories of God working on behalf of the Israelites, and she knew their their protection. It was a faith based upon evidence of other people's lives and how God had acted. And the beautiful thing is when one of us responds to God by making a a courageous choice, it, it not only affects our identity, but it also affects the destiny of those close to us. I mean, think about it. Even, in the, even the fear that God had created in the people that Rahab talked about was meant to be responded to with a repentance and a choosing of God. Instead of receiving the judgment, choose the promise. Rahab made that choice and she was saved. Others fought against God and were not. And within that, we see this additional thought that God wants you to choose his promise for your life because you need it But he also wants you to choose a new start to identify with him and take on his identity for you because there are people around you who need that as well. You see, the destiny of Rahab's whole family was changed because of her choices. Who in your life is counting on you to make a faith-filled, courageous choice to follow God's promise and leave something in the past? Is it your coworkers? your employees, your bosses, your children, your family, your friends. The question is, how do we make those choices? We see just a little bit in this passage. This passage tells us we don't do it alone. We do it with God and and we do it with other believers. Rahab made a pact with God and with these spies. And maybe we need to make a pact with our small group or our friends who are followers of Jesus to determine together to make the courageous choices to leave our past in the past and to walk into God's promises and trust Him. I mean, some of us may have a hard time relating to Rahab. Few of us have been prostitutes. Few of us have been so thoroughly entrenched in a pagan society. But we do have people at Quest who have had very challenging upbringings, pasts that have been had situations that made it very difficult to choose God's promise due to those around them or their experiences or their sense of identity that they went through. But they have made those choices. And I want you to hear the story of one person who's made that choice today, whose life experience was stacked against her, who repeatedly over time made courageous choice after courageous choice to lay down her identity that her family, her friends, her circumstances, her bad choices placed upon her and to choose God. And in so doing, she has an amazing story of a beautiful promise and a fresh start. Would you welcome Becky White as she comes? As she's getting her notes ready, uh, she's chosen God in the midst of so many difficult things, and she's going to tell you about that. And she's also turned many of those choices into a devotional book that you can see on the screen there that's going to be published November 1st uh, by a major Christian publisher, uh, just detailing how she chose God through so many difficult circumstances through a devotional. Welcome. 
Thank you, Ross. I appreciate that. That is so encouraging. I am very excited to share with you what Jesus Christ has accomplished in my life. If he can do it for me, oh my goodness, there is no one he can't do it for. And Father, I pray now that you would bring glory to Jesus through my words this morning. As I said, if he can do it for me, honey, there is no one he, he can do it for, can't do it for. How many of you have lived long enough to discover life isn't fair? Bad things happen, tragedies occur, even for followers of Christ. No one has been handed a perfect life. No one is exempt from the difficulties of life. God doesn't take a magic wand if you give your life to him and all of a sudden the birds are singing and the sun is shining and you're problem free. That's just not reality, is it? Well, now that I've encouraged you and cheered you up, <laughs> I want to share just a bit of my story. You know, for time's sake, I can't go deep. But I want you to know that these are deep and painful challenges from my life. They are my life. And to be honest, it's not easy to be this transparent. I also want you to know, as Ross said, there is a happy ending. So as you hear some of these things, keep that in mind. As a young child, I was sexually abused. This lasted several years by a close family member. As a young teen, I was very rebellious. Drugs, drinking, partying. No one could tell me what to do. Running away. And by the time I was 15, I was pregnant. My daughter, Tiffany, was born May 11th, 1980. And she died three days later. It was through that horrific, tragic event, the death of my daughter, that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I didn't grow up in church. This was very new to me. I surrendered my life to him through that. I married the father of my daughter. And over the next couple of years, I had three more children. But by the time I was 19, I was a divorced single mom, raising three children, working full-time. As I said, there are no magic wands. God doesn't do that. Sometimes we confuse forgiveness with eradication of consequences. And God had forgiven me and given me a new life. But there's still consequences for our choices. About a year later, I remarried. Well, it didn't take long to discover that the man I'd married had a severe alcohol problem. He was an alcoholic and a very violent temper. Now, what should have caused me to run instead created such a paralyzing fear within me that my only thought was, how do I protect my children by keeping him from getting angry? What do I do? Where do I go? Maybe he'll change. Well, that very difficult marriage lasted 25 years. During that time, I had three more children, and I buried another child, this time a son. And life was simply painful. I appreciate how Ross framed this last week. He said that there's a difference between being strong and being courageous. I was white-knuckling my way through these difficulties. And living as if I had no choices. Ross has hit on that a couple of times. I lived as if I had no choice. But something else was happening as well as all these difficulties were going on all those decades. 
I began growing in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I went after the Lord with tenacity. As I said, I didn't grow up in the church. This was all new to me. I went to women's prayer breakfast, Bible studies, church. I taught my kids Sunday school class. And I got to know my father in a real way. But something else was growing in me as well. And that was what I would now call a victim mentality. You know, one of the things that's so insidious about a victim mentality, there's often a little bit of truth to it. Life really was hard. There really were some unfair things that happened. And I began to say, Father, why? Why did this happen? Why is life so hard? Well, I'm not into plastic religious prayers, okay? I I want to be authentic with my father. I got on my knees beside my bed and opened up the Bible, and I'd read it back to him. Father, Father, your word says that you are near the brokenhearted. But Father, I don't feel you. Father, your word says you'll never leave me or forsake me. But Father, I feel forsaken. And I would cry out to him and show him his word. Father, your word says that you will bring good out of everything that grazes my life. How in the world can you bring good from this, Father? And how can I stand on your promises, Father, when I've made so many bad choices? How? His answer to my cries for help came in the form of a continued hopeless situation and the cumulative effect of years of difficulty. Again, I felt so hopeless because I lived as if I had no choices. I don't know if anyone here can relate, but in my life, I have found it easier to be broken and make excuses. We tend to stay with what we know even when it hurts, even when it's unhealthy, because it's familiar, it's comfortable, it's what we know. Did you ever notice that when Jesus healed someone, he often asked some strange questions? A blind man, for example, he said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I'm thinking it's pretty obvious he can't see, you know. That's my thought. <laughs> and this is the omnipotent one. Uh, or he asked a man that's been paralyzed 38 years, do you want to be made well? Well, of course he wants to be made well. Of course he wants to walk, right? Maybe. During one of my prayer wrestling matches with the Lord that we had often, I could almost hear him say to me, Child, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be whole? Well, of course, Father, whatever it takes, please heal me. Whatever it takes. Not long after that particular event, I'm wrestling it out with God. I was walking down the hall at a church I attended at the time, and the pastor saw me as I walked past his office, and he said, Hey, Becky, how are you doing? Well, keeping in mind that my life is completely falling apart around me, how do you suppose I answered him? I'm fine. That's right. Yeah, I'm fine. It's so hard to be transparent, isn't it? It's so hard. Well, I took a few more steps down the hall and I can't tell you why, but something just came over me and I stopped and I took a few more steps back, 
stuck my head in the door and I said, I'm not fine. And he said, come on in, sit down. And he called his wife in as well. And they said, what can we do for you? And in a moment of great transparency, I said, you can give me a new life because this one hurts. About three weeks later, God is so faithful. A relatively minor event occurred in my family. Minor compared to the drugs, the drinking, the infidelity, the violence. I was checking our bank account online on the computer. And I happened to notice that the checking account had been completely wiped out. In the negative again. And as I'm staring at the computer screen and taking in the reality of what I'm seeing, it occurs to me. This will never change. Ever. I have to do something. I have to make a decision. Now, at the time I didn't work, I was a stay-at-home homeschool mom. I had been for several years. So I had no income. But I took my children, my Bible and my crock pot. (laughs) I love to cook. And we left that day with nothing. I had no idea what our future held. And frankly, it looked pretty scary. But I knew what we were leaving behind. I had no idea the difference that one decision would make in my life. That would make in our lives. I had no idea the good my father had planned. I had no idea he would give me the privilege of writing and speaking about his great faithfulness. He is so faithful. He is so good. And the icing on the cake blessing of having a godly, handsome husband to share my life with. Just celebrated our five-year anniversary. Thank God, thank God, my past does not define me unless I allow it to. What others say of me and think of me doesn't define me unless I allow it to. I am a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. He has promised to bring good out of anything and everything that comes into my life. And I trust him to honor his word. I have learned by experience. By experience. That the word of God is not just a bumper sticker to slap on the difficulties of life. But his word is truth I can lean into and rely on. I've also learned that he never wastes our mistakes. He never wastes our pain. It was during those oh-so-challenging years of my life that my writing ministry was birthed. Devotions written in this book, real time. In the midst of crisis, in the midst of pain. Some of these are written right from the pages of my prayer journal. In the midst of, I have no idea what I'm doing, choices. And in the midst of flat-out wrong choices. His grace is so much greater than our mistakes. So much greater. Now, I know it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. 
This is all about Jesus Christ. Any act of courage on my part was only through his power and his ability in me. This isn't a story about Becky, but a story about Jesus Christ, what he has enabled me to do, what he can enable you to do. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, the author of Narnia, for those of you who don't know, mere Christianity and that sort of thing. He said this. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience. But he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone. And I wonder if he's shouting to you this morning. Is there something that you need the courage to do? Or to stop doing? To step away from? Or to step into? Cry out to him. He's there. And he'll move on your behalf. As I said, honey, if he can do it for me, there is nobody he can't do it for. But thank you for listening. Jesus is the God of a fresh start, of a new identity. We don't have to stay where we're at, but it does take, as she said, courageous choices. And she made so many courageous choices. She made a courageous choice to to trust in Jesus and follow him when she barely knew about him because she wasn't raised to know much about him. She chose in the midst of difficulty to not get bitter at God, instead to bring God close in that difficulty. And allow him to be the one who strengthened her and brought ultimate healing. She chose to separate from a very dangerous, destructive situation and start over with nothing there to support, it seemed like, with an unknown of where it was going to go. And then even she chose to go past the boundaries of those pain, of that past and that pain and to choose to risk starting over again and God has blessed her tremendously with a new loving beautiful family the family she's always longed to have the husband she's always longed to have maybe you do maybe you don't relate to Rahab or Becky's story each with such different uh, aspects to the story but if God can give them a fresh start he can do it with you because God has a promise of more and better for your life. So what are those choices that you need to make today? Are there decisions that you need to make to leave some things that you still allow to define you from the past? Some mistakes, some pain, some messages you've received? Do you need to leave those in the past and trust God's view of you and take a risk? What choices might be God giving you today? And I don't want you to think about those choices from, from, a, from a standpoint of, oh gosh, i got to change. I can't believe I've not done this. No, I want you to think about it from the standpoint of, think about what it would be like in that area you struggle to give up. Imagine what it would be like if your story was Rahab's story, if your story was Becky's story. Think about the good of the future that God wants to bring you into if you let that peace go and you step out 
with a courageous choice into what God wants. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that your spirit would come to each of us and that you would give us a a picture, that you would restore the feeling of those dreams and hopes that have been crushed in the past and allow us to feel that hope again. Allow us to picture that hope again that we don't think can ever be there because we've made too many bad choices or we've been stuck too long in this place. And Lord, would you come to us and would you rewrite the story of each one of our lives and bring us into the promised land that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.